Hey everyone, my name is Dan and you're listening to Beyond Recognition, an all-about creativity podcast exploring various depths of creative process. And here we discuss everything from how idea gets formed until the final result of it, whether it's a song, a record, a movie, a book or any of many kinds of artistic performances. If you're listening to this podcast for the very first time, don't forget to check the previous two episodes, episode 1 featuring the mighty Dave Chandler, the founding member and the guitarist of Saint Vitus, episode 2 featuring John Wright of Dead Bob and No Means No. And right now we are stepping into an episode 3, I can't believe that this podcast has lasted for that long. So thank you all who supported me on my way here. And whether you are a regular listener or you're listening to Beyond Recognition for the first time, we offer a lot of different bonuses. First of all, all of the episodes would appear on our Patreon page in advance. Patreon.com slash Beyond Recognition. The details are in description to this episode. Secondly, and more importantly, that's the only podcast you can turn into a fan alcohol hame. Just drink every time I would pronounce one of many random, you knows, is, or would do any kinds of phonetical mistakes. But before filling your glass, there would be many of these. And today's episode is a good example. I'm happy to welcome Justin Pearson to this podcast. Some of you might know Justin is a person associated with several dozens of different projects. The Locust, Def Club, Dead Cross, Swing Kids, Retox, Some Girls, Planet B. All of these just a part of Justin's rich catalog. But more importantly, Justin had been running 3-1-G. His independent record label founded in 1994. Label's catalog includes numerous releases from some of the most interesting artists from the experimental music field. So don't forget to check this one out. With this episode, Justin and I discuss the difference between punk and punk rock, Justin's love of extreme music and skateboarding, growing up in San Diego and running 3-1-G for almost 30 years now. Violence and music, the legacy of the Locust, and a lot more. So fasten your seatbelt and get ready to hear the conversation with Justin Pearson. I'm, I'm thinking about your entire career. Two main associations I have are middle finger, in a way it's uncompromising and fearless, and punk rock. What was the point in your life when you realized how many things musically and aesthetically you can do with these two? Do you mean by middle finger? Like, what do you, can you explain that? Because... <laughs> I'm talking um, about your attitude, which is, you know, something, okay. something yeah. that comes along with your music. And once again, the entire aesthetic of every project of yours and 3-1-G, of course. Sure, the, the universal middle finger. Um, I think, um, God, that's a crazy question. Um, I feel like uh, maybe, so there, okay, first of all, I think there's two things. There's punk and there's punk rock and they're completely different. So <clears throat> punk rock is like, cute and it's it's like a it's like a commodity that, that that can that you know the capitalist can can market and sell now but punk is more like an ethical thing which can be anything it could be it's not musical it doesn't have a mohawk attached to it it could be anything so <clears throat> um with punk i feel like it's just um 
an aesthetic and uh, sort of like a moral compass to guide um, you or the thing or or the community or whatever it is to guide you in in hopefully a progressive way, at least in a way that that is challenging for people that will um, splinter off and 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 grow. Um, so. <clears throat> The middle finger part, though, I think comes from like, I don't know. I mean, for me, starting as <clears throat> like, like start like getting into like all of this stuff that that, that we're into um, as a as a kid. The, the the and this sounds really silly, but the the reason why I think I was pushed into doing what I do was because I had my parents telling me like, "That's fucked up. That's bad. Like you're gonna become a drug addict. That shit sucks." you know, it's offensive. And I was like, Oh, yeah, cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that then. So it was like the the quintessential, like, you know, parents telling you no, which means you're gonna do it. Um, but then I then I, you know, started realizing the like, sort of um, social and political context of most punk bands and artists that I was discovering. And then it even went larger than that, like going beyond punk rock, <clears throat> and started realizing that like, the basic fabrics of, of, social change or uh, activism also were um, sort of seeped in these moral and ethical values of punk. So um, <clears throat> yeah, there's a lot to that. I could keep going, but, but I, I, I really do think that it, it's like, I, I started realizing it as a kid that it was everywhere. It, it was in everything, you know, and, and my, my sort of like gateway drug to punk was skateboarding, which mm -hmm. I also feel is, at the time in the eighties was a very, was a very, um, you know, it wasn't like a recognized sport. It was like the, it was like the outsider or like the outlaw sport. And so, um, I didn't like sports, but I loved skateboarding. So it, it, it was like the thing that I wanted to do. And again, like there was all this punk stuff tied into that. So it, it was like, that was, I think it was just cool as fuck when I was a kid and I was like, yeah, I want to, I want to do that. I want to, I want to be like those people. You know, I, I was looking at people, you know, like professional skaters and then seeing that they were also friends with, I don't know, like JFA or the Misfits or, or the Necros or, you know, or fucking Henry Rollins or whatever. And so then I was like, oh, it all kind of like ties together for me. Um, you know, in the eighties were much different. Punk was much different. So that's, um, it was just the thing. It, it was what raised me, I guess, essentially without sounding cheesy that that's, that's what I have to say. You know, when I was a teenager, I was lucky enough to meet and become friends with, the wonderful Keith Levine, and I've came to the conclusion that this difference between punk and punk rock, you know, that's basically how I realized it on, you know, once again, in my personal experience, and once again, you are listening to Public Image Limited, that's disco, the guitar part is taken from Tchaikovsky, like, that's punk, you're listening to Napalm Death, Scum, that's punk and in a way Dave Lombardo is punk even you know no matter if Dave is playing punk or no like basically that's the things that at least I came up with myself yeah I mean the Keith Levine thing is is pretty spot on because it, and it's crazy even like last a couple days ago I don't know what PIL song was on but I, I was thinking about it. I was like I can't believe this came out in 1979 or whatever the year was and it's so fucked up sounding on a major label, you know, it's so crazy. And I think like that is, whatever he did <clears throat> artistically on guitar completely changed the trajectory because I was hearing those sounds, not really even knowing what like, I mean, I heard it as a kid before I could play bass or knew what music was, but it was so jarring and so 
I don't want I say like non-musical, but it was very, you know, it was so just, it, it created a, a different kind of emotion. It created, it was uneasy and unsettling. And I like that because I related to that because of the world that we lived in. So, um, yeah, I mean, props to Keith for fucking changing everything. Because PIL was such a huge band at the time and it was influencing everyone, especially coming out of like, coming off the coattails of the Sex Pistols, you know, this whole like punk rock thing. It was like, they they flipped the script and and like really kept it going. So that's a good point. You know, especially getting to the skateboarding because I remember when you are holding a group sex of Circle Jerks and one of yep. the people is wearing peel t-shirt, which is a funny accident. And also the fact that how <coughs> this sort of culture of a different mindset that was partially cultivated by public image, how it really incorporated in this social group of uh, different thinkers. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it is weird how like, I mean, I, I guess that photo was taken at a at a show, a public image, a PIL show, which is why the cover of Group Sex, sorry. Because um, that was a weird thing too, because I, I kept thinking like, and I, I feel like I had already discovered PIL before I discovered the Circle Jerks. But it was weird to see that kind of crossover. And then also, too, like to, to rip on that, I would trip out on seeing photos of Jeff Hanneman from Slayer with a PIL sticker on his guitar. And I was like, what? Like, how is like Slayer and, and PIL, you know, intersecting here? And, and it really did. That is a whole other. That's a whole other topic, because I feel like <clears throat> that in itself was really um informative to like how Southern California and especially San Diego functioned as far as um, artistic influence, how it was like encompassing things from all over different, um, different worlds, I guess, that, that weren't really different. But it, to the to the outsider, you would think that like, you can't really ask most Slayer fans, they're not going to accept PIL. Um, maybe, maybe vice versa. But like, to me, I loved both of those bands as a kid. And You know, I even actually saw both of those bands at the same venue when I was like 13 or 14. So like, it, not together at the same show, but same venue. And it, it just, it was, it was pretty eye-opening to see how each, um, each show was. And, um, I don't, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, that's a, it's a good, it's a good, a good uh, reference point is, is early PIL for sure. In what way living in San Diego elevated your interest to being extreme? <laughs> Well, it's, it's always in retrospect, you know? Um, so I don't ever know at the time that this is happening, but, um, San Diego is sort of set up and geared for tourism. And I feel like it's, um, not really, um, it doesn't really do growing up in San Diego. It wasn't really set up for the youth. So like here there was, uh, not a lot of, um, all ages venues for music because of liquor licenses and and bars if you had liquor you couldn't have all ages you couldn't have people under 21 and up so there wasn't a lot of places for for music for all ages music um so we would always you know have them at like a, a, a vet hall or in a, in a house and so there, it was it was it was very or like on a on a parking roof you know like a parking structure just like strange um places but um also there wasn't like um for whatever reason in san diego there wasn't this divide where like This is a punk show and this is a hardcore show. And this is a metal show. It was everyone did it together and, and it, and it kind of made sense because I think that we were all friends with each other, even though our art was to some vastly different. So, so like my first band struggle would play with three mile pilot, 
that that seems like absurd on on paper, you know. But mm-hmm. also struggle with play with Downcast, Bikini Kill, Jello Biafra. Um, you know, we would go to Tijuana and play with Tijuana No, which is like a social. I I, I mean, there. I don't even know how to explain Tijuana No, but it's it. We would we would be able to to play with whoever we wanted, and it made sense to us, and maybe not to the listener. I don't know, or maybe maybe it was fine in San Diego, but it didn't really matter. The point is we would play with everybody. And um, that is something that um, it, like became part of my DNA, I think. And and a lot of us from San Diego, because we are able to um, not just be into one thing. Um, and I think that happens in a lot of cities where you have, um, I don't know, a lot of cool shit going on, <laughs> you, you know, because here you can't pick and choose. You have to say like, well, I'm going to go to this show because this one band that I like is playing and the other bands I have no idea what they are and and then you discover new shit and you're like oh I like hip-hop or I like cumbia or I like whatever it is you know whatever whatever style of music so it makes a lot of sense to all of us and I think it it makes us not limit um the things that we're into and also influenced by because there's some bands that have come out of San Diego that are insanely original and you can't, I don't think they would have happened in, in another place. Something like Dry Lake Jehu or mm-hmm. Crash Worship or even a band like Unbroken. You know, all of those bands, I think, are very unique in, them, in their own right. And I don't think that that could have happened elsewhere because those people that are in those bands were influenced by all kinds of stuff. Sure. So, also, San Diego is super racist <laughs> because we're we're so near to the border. There's a lot of there's a lot of white supremacy here. There's a lot of like politicians that are um, uh, it, it, um, instating like policies that are, uh, um, you know, um, oppressive towards people of color. Like it's a it's a pretty fucking weird city to, to be in. There's a, as a and there's also like a high military presence. So you have that like sort of mindset because even in high school, I was getting beat up all the time by these fucking kids that were ki- children of military families. And I, and I, I couldn't understand the opposition to um, them. I couldn't, I couldn't understand them, the opposition to me being opposed to like the U.S. war in Iraq. Like, why are you beating me up? War is fucking bad. And you're, you're kicking my ass because I'm, I'm against war. Uh, and because I'm into like punk or I look different. And then it was like only a matter of years until I started seeing them at my band's shows. And then I'm like, you guys are fucking dicks. So <laughs> that's a victory. <laughs> I, that's, a good... <laughs> that's one way to put it. I also was like, no, 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 no. Fuck that guy for being here. You know, like it wasn't like victory. Like I got them over here. It was like, you fucking dickhead beating me up in high school. And now you're at my band's show. Like take your five bucks and get the fuck out of here. You know, like. Um, I didn't do that, but I wanted to. I was, you know, shocked. So, yeah. Looking at the chronology of your live gigs from, you know, the oldest to more recent, it, it's obvious that the, the degree of intensity and the emotional component of your performance didn't change a lot, which is a quality not all the artists have, but no matter how different was the degree of shock, you've always been professional in this sense. When you're dealing with the degree of emotionality and expressivity, what helps you not to get into the darker side of things where let's say you would be doing things ggl and you know that sort of <laughs> shit unfortunately only one person can really throw their own shit at the audience and i think you know gg did it <laughs> um and <clears throat> i don't i don't want to take a shit in front of people and i also don't want to throw it at anybody unless it's like 
I mean, there are people that I would throw my shit at, but they wouldn't be at a show, you know, where they're, even if it's a hostile performance uh, with the crowd, which I'm very used to uh, as a support band, but I, I don't think I would ever throw my shit at, at someone at a show. <clears throat> I would throw my shit at a cop um, or like, um, I don't know, the mayor. <laughs> you know, I don't know. There's people that I would throw my shit at for sure. Uh, like if I could find a bunch of Nazi skinheads, I would totally take a crap and chuck it at them. That'd be awesome. But they're most likely not going to be at a, at a show. Also, like I don't want to get my ass beat literally and, and figuratively with my pants down taking a shit. So it seems like a very risky thing. I'm, I'm, I try to keep my pants on when things get violent. You know, um, <clears throat> I, I couldn't imagine having my clothes off and like getting in a fight. Um, that just seems fucked up. <laughs> so, um, but the, like the hostile stuff is interesting because I really don't prefer it. Um, and it's never thought out. And I don't think like people like Gigi Allen ever thought it out. I think it just kind of happened. Um, maybe it became uh, common, but um, for me, like when I've been in hostile environments, it's always like, <clears throat> you know, we're on course to this thing. We're trying to perform and then someone sort of changed the trajectory and, it's it is violent towards us like getting you know a pint glass like broken on this bone makes you react in, in, a, in a certain way you know you're like mm. i'm just playing music and you're fucking destroying my body uh and 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 the performance or whatever <clears throat> and it's just music you know so the fact that you can like um push people without really pushing them to the extent where they're gonna um harm you um seems pretty wild um but yeah i don't, I don't know like <clears throat> i i guess like for a while the locust would always try like the locust got a lot of shit so um I would, the locust would always try to like combat that aggressiveness with with wit and with humor like let's say someone's talking shit to us and we are able to have like very witty comebacks and make the audience sort of laugh but that person doesn't laugh they want to fucking kill us even more you know so it gets it's tricky to try to navigate like how can i destroy this person with my words and then how can i get out of this situation alive <laughs> or or like unharmed you know so it, it's tricky to navigate that because i did see because <clears throat> I, I saw ggl when i was a kid and it was very violent and there was shit everywhere and people were fighting in the streets and i and i don't want to be part of that you know i don't i don't want to be like hey we caused this thing I mean, there was a time when the locust got escorted out of a venue by the police because they were afraid that a riot was going to start. And I, in retrospect, I feel like that's a very, um, very big accomplishment. Like not a lot of bands can do that. And we sure. didn't try to do that. We actually didn't even do anything to the audience. Uh, they just wanted to kill us. So I feel like, um, I feel like if we would have threw our shit at someone at that point, it would have been very bad. Uh, we probably would have went to jail. You can't really do what Gigi did now e either. You'll just go to jail right away. Sure. So, but was there a point when you realized that music can be dangerous at, you know, that Gigi Allen geek? Fuck yeah. But I knew it could be dangerous before I even went to like, you know, my first punk show. I, 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 there was this company called Target Video that would, that would make all these videos. I think they made the last Sex Pistols concert on, on VHS. Mm -hmm. And they always had these like extra videos after the main concert. And I remember it had like some black flag and it might've had throbbing gristle or, or something. And I, I just remember seeing all this bizarre shit that was inherently like 
aggressive or violent in a, in a sense. It, not, not like pointless violence, but you know, like you would see like mosh pits and stage diving. And so I realized that there was this element attached to what I was doing. Oddly enough, though, the first show I ever played when I was 15 in, in my first band, Struggle, was to a very strange audience that had a lot of Nazi skinheads in it. In, in Southern California, we had a we had a, a huge Nazi uh, skinhead problem because we were so close to Fallbrook, which is where Tom Metzger and White Area Resistance started. So there was a lot of neo-Nazis in San Diego. And so it was very um, strange for me to see... And it was, okay, so this was like... Um, I'm trying to think what year it was. So it was like 90, maybe it was like 1990. And, 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 and so it was very, 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 very like nihilistic punk. You know, there was like these dickheads like moshing, but there were like Nazi skinheads. And I was more so, I, I mean, fuck, I was scared to play my first, not scared, but you know, I'm playing my first show. I don't know, like, know what I'm doing. Like, this is weird, but also there are Nazis here. So like, I was not relaxed <laughs> playing not focused on playing the music i was focused on like there's these fucking shitheads here who i'm used to getting beat up by so it was a weird a weird thing you know um i don't know what my point is oh my point is like just having like that extra element of like hostility it wasn't just like a show where we're gonna have fun and we're gonna perform it was like it just sounds cheesy but it was sort of like a battleground you're like oh fuck you know there's these people that i hate and they hate me and they're and i have to still perform it just seemed bizarre and it, and it became very common because there were always Nazi skinheads at shows in the mid to late 90s. It was just, are there all of the 90s, I guess. Fucking, it was terrible in San Diego. Um, terrible. Yeah, I got beat up so many times by Nazi skinheads. It was, it's just, it was not rad. <laughs> so, sure. yeah. But what you're talking about is more related to, you know, the local environment. While, you know, if we're, if we're looking at <coughs> somebody like the birthday party which we were one of the first band who really created this sort of suspense. Suspense feel on their shows being unexpected to an extreme degree, which something that went well with the music, I think, isn't it? Yeah, so I discovered the birthday party at an early age, but it wasn't really until I fully understand, understood that band as a whole, because... For one, like, I think that they were obviously, the stuff I was into was like, like when I was 15 and 16 was like mosh metal, you know, I loved like Downcast and, and Rorschach and stuff like that, you know, like mm. that, that was all great. Um, but, and I loved the birthday party, but it wasn't until I really like dove into it musically and started understanding that there was like a lot more to it, where I feel like birthday party kind of was more aligned with PIL uh, aesthetically and also just... Um, creating like another another sort of attention you know it wasn't like um it wasn't this like it was like a it was like a three-dimensional tension where like i feel like the shit that i was part of was like a one-dimensional tension there's like there's the fucking nazi skinheads so we're gonna talk a bunch of shit about u.s imperialism and and say how we fucking hate whatever all, all of the things that we were against you know but we're like i think the birthday party was able to hone in and create a different sort of tension with the audience so it wasn't it wasn't until i got a little bit older and started seeing that the two differences because i think once i started the locust we i'm i personally made a shift to not be overtly political because i think it was to an extent 
alienating to a lot of people in the audience, even if they're on the same page. Yeah, we all hate police brutality, but but they don't want to hear us just lecture about it. You know, like, yeah, we are all in agreement here. You know, that's that. And if they and if they were pro-police brutality, they're not gonna fucking change their mind. You know, it's just that's it. So <clears throat> with the locust, we became even more political in the way that we worked as a band, but we weren't like overtly political saying like burn the US flag, you know. And like having this imagery and this perception of like, we're a political band. We were more an artistic outlet for people to relate to, but everything was still po very political. The way we functioned as a band was very political, which I think might've been more like bands like PIL and the birthday party. And I don't want to put any words in their mouths. I, I don't necessarily know that they were being political, but they were, they were being socially relevant in the sense that it was challenging um, all the norms. They were changing the trajectory of, of, of this general uh, view of what punk is. You know, I mean, pe people might not even say they're a punk band or they were punk bands, but to me, they were, again, like the punk, not the punk rock, you know? So, um, yeah, it's it's pretty bizarre. And also, uh, uh, to, uh, you know, it's important to mention that things that really shocked people in the age is everybody from Napalm Death to Crass, once again, DGL and later on, artists like the Jesus Lizard in the 90s, but still by the 90s, these aspects, these artists started sort of becoming a norm because obviously, even if you take Scum, it came out in 87, so 10 years after it sold, the grindcore became a genre. So, how did you feel these changes in the mindset of people? coming from this background when you started touring that something became a norm and people don't really react to those things you reacted uh, back in the days. Well, okay, so I'm gonna, I, I always reference this quote that Gabe Serbian said, where I, I forgot what interview it was for, but they were asking him what bands, they said, what, what hardcore bands do you listen to? And he said, I don't, I don't listen to hardcore, I just play it. And I thought that was like a really interesting way to put things because I mean, we all listen to hardcore, but like the stuff that we listened to was like fringe, you know, like is crossed out hardcore or, you know, whatever, like the genre part didn't really matter to us. It was more so that we were into all kinds of stuff and we were able to create art that we liked, you know, because the locust had it pretty, I'm not like saying pity us, but the locust had it pretty hard right out of the gates because we were, we were weirder. And we had, we had synthesizers and we were, we were, we were constant. Once we left Southern California, we were constantly getting shit by people. Even like, I remember the first time the locust went to the UK, I don't know which person from doom it was, but he was just making fun of us before we even started because of the way we looked because of our keyboards. And I was like, man, just shut the fuck up. Like we're going to play and it's going to be better than doom. And I mean, I'm not trying to be a dick, but I was like, man, just stop being an asshole to us. Like you're fucking lame. Like just because we don't have like patches and shit and like we're not crusty doesn't mean we're not like whatever. It just felt like an asshole move on, on his part. And so like we were constantly getting shit on and that made us like even more subconsciously provocative, I guess. We, we wanted to fuck with people even more. Like, And that was the thing like the evolution through through the locust was wild too because you know at one point we did this full u.s tour with dillinger escape plan and i really feel like they wanted the locust to be on tour to kind of um curtail some of their audience you know because it was hostile right away you could tell like these are the fucking weirdos that are here for the locust and these are the fucking jocks that are here for dillinger and it was for us like to 
play with Dillinger was great. They were our friends and we liked them musically and it made sense. But their fans weren't always that accepting of us or or the people that were there that were in solidarity or that were part of our, our I don't want to say fan base because for the locusts, I felt like they were part of our community. You could tell the fucking weirdos in the crowd. You knew, <laughs> you knew who was there to see the locusts and who was there to see Dillinger because there's a big difference between a, a, like a strange weirdo punk and a, and a, and a fucking hardcore jock. And that was, um, that just made us, it put everything into perspective. It just made us like want to fuck with people even more. And, and, and again, like <clears throat> it's weird because at some point, the locust even figured out a way to get to, to like sort of like bridge all of our music together. So people couldn't speak to us because it was becoming a thing where like, Oh, the audience thinks it's funny to talk shit to us. Well, fuck you. You're not getting a chance. You're not speaking to us. There's noise in between every song we're going to perform. This is for our people, not the one or two or 20 people that want to fucking fight us. Like this is for us. So it, 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 you know, it's weird trying to navigate through hostile situations in an artistic way. Um, and you kind of have to just roll with it and figure that out as it happens. And also, I think it really shows a difference between D DIY culture in the 90s versus 80s and 70s. Because still, like, if you would take SST records, artists like St. Vitus or the Universal Congress of... And I don't really think that back in the days people really divided it as that's punk rock for weirdos or that's not. While in the 90s there was a sort of separation between, let's say, the fans of White Zombie or Rollins Band, even though you understand in, in perspective these are similar tendencies in many ways. Of course. But that's interesting that you think that the 80s and 90s had a shift as far as like uh, genre like labeling or genre creating because again going back to the San Diego thing I would look at labels like Final Communications or Gravity Records which seemed very eclectic musically um, even with the start of 31G it was very very eclectic and that was kind of the goal but I guess there's other labels like uh, you know to me like Discord or Vermiform yeah like different labels around the world and in the US specifically that, that we're able to kind of branch out and have other things. It just seemed different from a, and I, and I use this term loosely from a business perspective because mm. I mean, three, one G is a business, but I'm not a business person and I'm surprised that I'm it's still functioning, but, but you look at labels like that or even GSL, it was very diverse, you know, and that was, that was a thing that I felt was like represented in real DIY culture because it was, it wasn't that like you're in this kind of music, you're going to do this same thing that everybody else is doing. It's like you're a like-minded person and your artistic output can be whatever the fuck it is. And we're, we still connect on that sense that we have like these DIY ethics. I think that's a, I think that's a good point, but I also don't think that it made it, I think if anything, it amplified or blurred the, the genre uh, lines. Um, maybe I'm just, maybe I lived in a bubble though, you know, because I, at the same time, it's like, I know I wasn't ever associating with like, I don't know, hardcore, like, e like East Coast kind of like mad ball or fucking what whatever, like, you know, I didn't really like identify with that stuff. So maybe if you were into that, or agnostic front, I don't know, like, maybe you were just into like that kind of shit, um, where like, I don't know. Yeah, the, the weird stuff has always like been my jam. But I feel like the weird stuff trickles down or maybe goes up to like labels too, like record labels which are community building because even going back to like when I was, when I was a kid and I, and I got into the dead Kennedys and discovered alternative tentacles and would get those, um, 
the 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 catalogs i'd just be like this looks cool this looks cool and i would just order shit you know that just looked cool and um it was always bizarre you didn't know what you're gonna get and i and i kind of appreciated that um that's probably the best thing about like labels like alternative tentacles or touching go which is the label more appealing <clears throat> to me due to some reasons but still like you can really see artists like alice donut going with new roses or let's say the jesus lizard shellac don cabalera with dick Royson or urge oracle like to me these are very different artists in a sonic sense as well to completely so important it's such a good point and I, and i do think it's still it does i mean maybe it still happens to an extent because i i you know now you can just like google it and figure out what it sounds like <laughs> um i don't know yeah I've been listening to one of your numerous interviews where you've been talking about the principles of running a record label and how it started for you from mixing different elements, like, you know, taking some pieces of garbage and using them as a part of the physical release. I should say it's quite a Dadaistic approach. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, the, the, the whole way that the label started was out of necessity you know i mean it, like the first release was an unbroken seven inch and we were just stealing everything i mean we used united record pressing which was absolutely the cheapest vinyl pressing plant at the time to make the records and stole all the covers and and that was you know so so that was the only way i could really like figure out a way to start a record label um to be able to put that money back into the other things that we were doing you know and then eventually you know i started doing like really weird shit like five inch picture disc or square shaped records. But, but um, yeah, I mean, the DIY idea is to repurpose things or to not do things normal. There's this, um, you know, it's funny, like not to be too like woo woo and go and, and circle back to like something, but like there was an interview with Ian Mackay where he was talking about skateboarding and about how skateboarding um, redefined the landscape because you would see a sidewalk and there'll be this little, you know, little bank up on, against a wall and you never thought about it like a thing that you could navigate on you just saw like a sidewalk so skateboarding like changed the way you saw the landscape which i feel is very um fuck even with him i mean he did that with from going from minor threat to fugazi i feel like he just fucking changed the landscape but also musically speaking and then running a business you kind of think like how can we change the way we look at things or like utilize garbage um, you know, a good example is this, like <clears throat> these locust compact mirrors that people call the Coke mirrors that we made. I mean, we got 10,000 of those for free because they were being thrown away. And we took those 10,000 mirrors and put a locust sticker on them and sold them for a buck, you know, and like, we're able to go on tour and like eat food and stay in hotels every now and then and shit, you know, like it worked out really great, but like most people wouldn't have been like, oh, I'm going to take that junk, make a thing and survive. It was fucking junk. It was it was literal garbage, and we took it and and repurposed it. And I think that's like an interesting way to look at things. Maybe because most of us in the locust at the time grew up pr pretty pretty poor and broke, and so we were like trained to figure out a way to survive um, and hustle. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's a trip. Um, yeah anyhow the, the navigating thing it's it's i feel like it's very similar to the skateboard culture which is where we all came from you know like you just see things differently you know my experience of promoting what i consider being the weirdest uh project of mine which was a record from artist from north carolina named skin tape 
And what this guy done, he had an ear surgery. So when he got to the hospital, he literally took all the recording gear and recorded the whole procedure with, you know, doctors talking. And then he mixed everything in sort of dark drum and bass record, which he put out, you know, as a sort of set with this little city, like, you know, they were like 20 years ago and a hospital suck. And, you know, we did great with promoting this one, like The Wire wrote a review. Oh, that's that's awesome. But I mean, like, how many people have done that? One, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even so, yeah. once again, in this particular situation, you can really tell that maybe the reference goes to pill with metal box. Mm. Yeah, sure, yeah. A lot of the people, even those who might be avid listeners, don't really understand that the biggest value of any record label is a catalog of releases and artists you work with, also being principal source of financial income. So after you started moving with Srivanji, did you have any concept of what this label should look like eventually? I'm talking about like visually, aesthetically, and so on. Never, never at the time that I go like, this is what we're doing. It was release by release. And after a while, it kind of became a thing. When I, when I first started the label, I was um, friends with Gravity Records and Vinyl Communications. So they were very influential. And you could even see the Unbroken 7-inch was ripped off of um, the Forced Down 7-inch on Vinyl Communications, which was used with a rubber stamp. And again, it was kind of out of necessity, but also to make something cool. Um, also to kind of represent like... Um, San Diego culture. I felt like that was a San Diego thing at the time. Um, kind of going into like the gravity era where like there was silkscreen covers on and like paper bag, the paper bag seven inch uh, for heroin. So there was all these like ideas on how to create things. Um, and so that was kind of like the start of it. But um, the aesthetic was like always based on um, or initially was my only like aesthetic was based on, on um, discord. And I wanted to have only bands from California. And then I remember that got fucked up like pretty early on. So I think it was release um, number, um, fuck, well, Black Cat 13 was probably the first um, band that was mm. there from Canada. And then I think right after that, we did a Black Dice 7 inch and, and, then, and then an asterisk LP. So like we fucked up the whole California thing. But that was my initial idea, like California, because I think it's cool that Discord only does bands from DC. Um, but there was like bands that were my friends. So the, the, the common thread became like this sort of like family or like community because I was like, you know, in love with these people from this band and I wanted them to be part of this thing. So just because they're from Canada or New York or, or, or Sweden or whatever, like I wanted them to be part of it. So that was what happened. So we're about to release, are they, we're working on number 140. So out of the 140 releases, I think there's maybe two releases that were a band that was solicited to 31G, like in the sense that like I didn't know who they were, and they said we want you know to we want to know if you'll put our record out, and I and I said yes, and I and I say no all the time, like always, and I and it's not a disrespect, it's not I don't like their music or I don't appreciate someone considering it, but for me for 31G, I want to know the people, I want to see them perform, I want to have a connection to them that's more than just like on my computer and emailed some files, you know, and a link to the social media. I think that that's fine. There's a lot of good shit out there. And I hope, I always tell people, like, I hope we cross paths. I hope we get to meet each other. I want to work with you. Um, but it is very, very rare that I'm like, 
okay, this is some crazy shit. It should be part of 3-1-G. I, I just, it needs to be personal for me because for one, I don't make money running the record label. I lose a lot of money. And so for me to lose money or to spend money on someone, I want to know like who they are, you know? And I want, I want them to know that like we, I respect them and hopefully they respect us and 3-1-G and, and, and the fact that their record's not selling, <laughs> you know, like I want that, I want that to be like a thing that they're um, aware of and not just be like, whatever, you know, because that's, that is a way that people treat labels, especially if you don't, if I don't know you, I, I don't know, maybe they're just like, I don't give a fuck. And then I'm thousands of dollars in debt and they have a shitload of boxes of their records that will never sell. Because those boxes that I do have, I, I, I love the people and I'm like, it's fine. Your record will never sell. I can barely give them away, but I still love you. And that's, that's, that's important. What was the point in your career when you understood that this is a thing with your, with its own identity? It's not yours. It's not somebody else. When people think about Suranji, they don't think about you or about the locust. But you know, the <coughs> entire sense of this label, you know, provides them with some idea. Just like when you think about Discord or when you think about Touch and Go and so on. And so on. that's a that's a really um, uh, good uh, point to bring up, and it's very it's very flattering because three one G isn't me. It's, it's everybody. And I, and I realized that right away. I realized that right away for a lot of reasons, because a lot of the earlier releases were very incestuous. Um, you know, Gabe Serbian was on it, records uh, up, fucking up until he passed away. Like he was on, he was all over the place. And, and there were like friends would kind of come in and out of bands. And, and, and that I think made a lot of sense to me. Um, And I wanted it to be a community, a curated sort of uh, community of, of artists. And I, and, I, and, I, and I appreciate that. And I think that that's a, a, a great thing to, um, to acknowledge. And so it would be like taking the like, DIY, do-it-yourself idea. And it's more like a do-it-ourselves idea because it is all of us. And it isn't, it, it isn't like me, 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 like do-it-yourself, like DIY, like me. It's, no, it's all of us. It's all of us creating this thing. You know, even like with the Unbroken 7-inch, My friend Rich, who I went to high school with, he worked at Kinko's and he's part of 3-1-G because he was fucking stealing all the covers for that a broken seven inch, you know, and, and, and I love that guy to death. I just saw him in Portland and he made 3-1-G number one happen, you know, fucking 29 years ago or some crazy shit like that. You know, it's like, what was it? I was 19. We were stealing everything from Kinko's and it was, if it wasn't for him, it wouldn't, you know, like he's not even on them. He's not even on the record. I mean, musically on it, but he's on it because all those covers were went through his, you know, he touched all those, he printed all that shit, you know? Um, yeah, it's just a bigger picture. Um, it's just a bigger picture for, for people, I think, for everybody involved. And obviously you incorporated your approach with Srivanji, with, you know, what we've been doing with the locus, or maybe you know, there was, at least, you know, as I uh, portray it, it was a sort of mutual influence because in in a sense of bringing different elements expanding the palette and the dynamic changes which is still important for you but one what has always amazed me obviously you would look at once again napalm death's original grindcore quote-unquote band yeah. <clears throat> and uh you understand there that sound became a combination of factors like personal political their growth the ethic aesthetics actual for the time but eventually it came it became a ground zero uh, you know certain dogma even though none of you know none of these people 
place in this specific band. So what it was like for you to explore those tendencies where, you know, it was already a sync? For me, I did see a band like Cattle Decapitation and a band like Quintronimus Pussycat. Mm. They, they, they are completely opposite. Cattle Decapitation is sort of like the... Well, I guess maybe, okay, Cattle Decapitation could be like the Napalm Death. Miss Pussycat and Quintron, maybe not so much like P.I.L. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, they, they both um, are like the, on these like fringes of this huge um, thing of like um, weird music or art or whatever you want to call it. And, but it, to me, it, they, they, they make sense. They connect. And, and through and throughout all of our releases, I mean, it does come down to the basic idea of like the people involved in it. Um, even like with more recent releases, like something like um, we just put out this record, Venomoris, which is Dave Lombardo and Paula Lombardo. Um, mm -hmm. And it sounds nothing like you would expect Dave to do, you know, and, and I, and I love Dave and I love Paula and to me, and I, and I really like what they do musically together. I think it's a special thing. And I felt like this makes sense for 3-1-G. And then, and then now we're releasing the Stress Positions LP, which is just like full-on rad hardcore, like just gnarly hardcore. And it, that seems like the obvious thing that would be on 3-1-G. But for me, um, what they do is the, is the best of that kind of shit. There's no fucking around. Like they're, they're like, they're one of the best bands. So there's that. And then I love them as people. Like I absolutely love them as people. So that all makes sense to me, you know, to me, like having those two records on the same label makes complete sense to the industry. The industry is probably like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. This is, this doesn't make sense. And that's fine. It's not, everything's not for everybody, but, but for us, me and the bands and the artists that are on 31G, it's for us first and foremost and and we'll put it out into the world and and how it how it gets treated or how it gets absorbed or people how people react to it it's that's on you all you know but for us we just do the thing that we feel is honest and that and and just leave it at that sure but some genres or some um let's say some schools of art you can really say that there is a lot of criticism involved even you know if you would take like napalm desk grindcore which to me goes with the term tra transgressive art a lot especially if you like if you don't want to take napalm desk but you, but you can really speak about michael Jura and his prose like how he approach this entire idea of consumerism just you know just like you know cross had been doing uh, musically aesthetically and that makes me really think that certain tendencies really presuppose a specific emotional tonality or when it comes to music lyric and so on like isn't it in your opinion so okay again I, this is such a i think this is a big topic so may, so maybe like you're saying when you talked about the criticism, I think that's a very uh, relevant thing to bring up. So, like, I feel that, and this is a thing that the locust kind of honed in on subconsciously, and then I realized what it was, and I had, and I and I embraced it wholeheartedly. That if people are reacting to what you're doing negatively, you're successful. So if they react positive or negative, you're successful. It's when they're apathetic and they don't care, when they don't, they're indifferent. Then you're then you're failing. So like, yeah, people fucking talk to all kinds of shit about um cattle decapitation they still do and i think that's fucking great 
because they're the best. They're the best at what they do, hands down. Um, kind of like when Napalm Death came out with Scum. It was like the fucking gnarliest thing. But again, like, you know, or PIL or whatever, all, Birthday Party, all these bands, they all did this thing that were kind of like, there was a reaction. You either loved it or you hated it. You weren't just like, that's cool. It, ex it exists, whatever. Like, I want people to be like, that's really fucking good or that's terrible. I'm so mad. I'm going to have to like comment on this, um, you know, YouTube link about it or whatever. So again, it's also what we all create artistically isn't for everyone. I, I don't like anything. You know, there's so much shit I don't like. The point is, the problem for them though is when I just am indifferent about it. Like whatever, that sucks, and I and I and I don't acknowledge it. But if but if, if they could get me to fucking get mad online or whatever, you know, like then they're winning. They're definitely winning. So um, not that I want to get those. I hate that negative shit. It's such a fucking drag. It's so draining. But I think that that's a. I just want people to react. I think people need to react in some way. Um, when they don't, then it, then then it seems like you're maybe. Not unsuccessful, but you're missing an opportunity. Your answer makes me think that how these things change from project to project, like let's say from The Locust to Retox, from Death Club to Dead Cross, oh. and you know, these <coughs> are you know just random ones I picked up yeah. because obviously you have a large catalog. Yeah. So from like stuff that I'm personally involved in, I mean, it really comes down to the players and, and approaching it going like, this is what we are all capable of and having some sort of general um, focal point to start at. And it's, I think it's great when you go like, I want to sound like, I don't know, whatever band. And then you sound completely different. Like the Locust, we wanted to sound like Crossed Out. We don't sound anything like Crossed Out. And I'm, and I'm grateful for that. Like, I'm glad we didn't just copy Crossed Out. So I, I think that like a lot of it just comes down to the players and what we're capable of. Um, which can be applied to any band, you know, I mean, any, any project, what are you capable of doing? And, and what is, what is your output? Um, you know, because I like when you go, let's start and let's start a band that sounds like this. And then you realize like, Oh, so-and-so or mine or whoever's playing involved, their strong point is this, let's go in this direction. Let's veer into this direction. So like, yeah, I think that it's pretty cool to do that. And, um, again project to project you know a lot like a lot of it like a good example would be retox and dead cross which share you know two two of the same members mm. but in retox i just sang and then in dead cross i play bass and sing a little bit but musician the musicianship has a a, a a common thread which is mike crane but um i think that um you know playing in retox with the, you know kevin avery or whoever we were or brian evans or or gabe serbian or playing in dead cross with dave lombardo it's going to be different in a sense because of those drummers styles and strong suits so, and so on and so forth also like my influence on as being a bass player and retox makes i'm sorry uh in dead cross makes dead cross a certain way i didn't play bass in in retox at times i wish i did but um that happened. So it just, it really comes down to the players and what each person's, each person is capable of. And again, the influences, because I feel like with my bass playing, oh, there's all kinds of different influences going back to uh, PIL and the birthday party and fucking no means no, or whoever, you know, like all of these bands that is there. That world isn't really, you know, um, present in, in retox because I wasn't playing bass. So it just depends. Do you feel this 
sort of tragism of a creator namely you work and build something and a lot of the time the process is more exciting than the final result but then you let it go and it becomes something universal so if you are not touring you need to come up with something else what would something else be you mean like another project another project like the new release and so on yeah i think a lot of the people experiences due to pandemic when you release mm. something but you can tour and you need to yeah. occupy yourself with something okay the pandemic is a whole other story because I, when that was happening i remember thinking like fuck we might not ever play again and so i kept going up to la and kept recording deaf club stuff like we did a whole bunch of shit because like we weren't doing anything else i mean we weren't no one was working like everything was just kind of strange and so we used all of that time to make what we could do we, we weren't just like sitting around watching netflix you know we were just like let's do this like who knows what the future holds you know so um yeah i i think that it just depends on the project because dead cross is a good example where like we didn't tour on that album and uh i don't necessarily know that it's like the reason why we didn't tour on it is beyond me um we could do we could tour on it now but we don't but but uh not not my not my choice so that's the thing that i think depending on who's involved you know um people in a band like death club this is like a cheesy term but like they're like they're hungry like we want to do this thing we want to present this thing and do it where like dead cross i feel like certain people in the band don't want to do they just we did the record and that's that's the limit of of output for that like we're done so it just depends um on on who's playing and who's involved and and people's um their need or their desire to 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 make that like larger creative element a thing with dead cross because i know that the concept and correct me if i'm wrong please the concept was to play like three gigs and you know that would be it but you yeah. recently released your second lp and it became the whole living creature versus not not one time thing and i hope you would continue with this project but how does how it makes you feel right that, i mean that's a cool that's a cool thing to address because i feel like we didn't like you know when someone's like that let's start a band like that because that'll be successful that was never i mean you know, me and Mike Crane were in a studio with Dave Lombardo working on someone else's project and Dave, Dave's band film broke up and they're like, we need to play three. He's like, I need to play these three shows. So Mike Crane's like, let's start a band. It's in 12 days. And so we, we like started the band and then those three shows happened and we're like, that was cool. Let's do a few more. And we did, you know, nine shows and then, you know, and then started recording a record and then Gabe quit the band. Um, for personal reasons and and then Patton joined and then it, be, it just became this thing like we never thought dead cross would be dead cross we just were like it was like little steps like let's do this oh let's do this let's do this let's do, and now we're like here we are we're like fuck now it's the thing i mean we've only barely toured we did one like small partial partial us tour we did one european tour and that was it we've never played like a show like we didn't just go play la we never done that and uh, and i would like to but it just doesn't seem feasible but regardless there was never the 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 goal like even even with locust or deaf club or any band it was the, the goal wasn't like this is the thing that we want to do the goal was like this is what i want to do right here this thing that's like in my face that's obtainable 
And then where that goes is, is up to the universe to decide, you know, like, and like, not to be too weird and woo, but like when you, when you start a, when people start a band, they're like, I want to be like Napalm Death, they're successful. And I want to be like that. And their goal is to like so far out. I think you're just, it's not in your heart, you know, like maybe it is, but like, you're just, you're just trying to do the thing that someone already did where I think that is where you fuck up. The thing that you should try to do is should be like inside you and in your brain, not, not what the successful version is that you're trying to replicate. And that, 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 that goes back to capitalism and, and all the fucking flaws of that shit, you know? Um, because n- none of this stuff is, is, um, practical none of it's financially you know practical or successful to i mean you think about the amount of hours that fucking people put into creating music unless you like won the music lottery and you're you know huge otherwise you're just like the amount of time that you put into every single fucking thing is insane there's no way that it like makes sense to an hourly wage so we don't do it for that reason you know we do it for a whole other reason for survival you know to to survival on this planet to make to expel this thing, to communicate to people. There's all these other fucking things that are more important. So, and that circles back to like alternative tentacles and vinyl communications and discord and vermiform. Everyone did it for the fucking sake of art, not for capitalism. But when you are performing on such an emotional level like you do, it can really affect your life in a negative way, meaning you are playing several weeks a show every day or with some small breaks get into the mode and then tour gets over and you need to get back home and deal with the routine and stuff and this emotional shift can really get into you into the state of depression so how do you personally deal with these issues um i do feel that like post-tour um mental shift but i also like enjoy coming home you know, and spending time with my family and my dog. And, um, and I also like to go back to the studio and start working on new material. Uh, you know, I have other things that I do. Um, I get to record podcasts and, and, and stuff, you know, like there's things that I can't do on tour that I come home and I get to do. And I also like, I mean, on tour, I can't afford nights off. Like we never, we almost never have nights off and I, and I, and I, that's fine. So it's like every, every, every night. And at some point I'm like, I'm after like, it's been six weeks straight, you know, like my legs hurt or like my, my whatever hurts, something hurt. Uh, I just want to like chill out. And, and, you know, we live in San Diego. I live in a beautiful city. Like I can go to the beach and like walk along the cliffs and like reflect and do all this shit that like helps. I mean, it's just, it, you just cope with the world you live in and what you have differently. The weird thing though, is like that sort of, sense of depression or anxiety i think is is there 24 7 now because of mainly because of social media and the fact that we're constantly bombarded with like the sort of negative elements of of humanity you know war is always a thing and especially in america it's fucking crazy how polarized people are and that aspect doesn't go away if you're on tour or not on tour you know that's always there so it's it's just a trip i i i i um worry about people that can't handle it and result to you know suicide um 
taking their own lives and stuff. That's a very uh, relevant topic at this point, I think, in time, especially post-pandemic. People don't know how to handle what's going on. We're, humans aren't humans aren't geared for that. You know, we're not created for this level of intensity that we're constantly getting. I was recently told that like people before social media were like more tribal in the sense that like we only knew like kind of what was going on in our communities and now we know what's going on all over the world all the time and that's causing a lot of more hostility and anxiety and we don't know how to process that and that is a concern because it either makes you a dick or it makes you depressed and those two things are fucked up um it's just hard yeah so um I look at it like I get to go on tour and I get to like sort of put out this energy to the world and I and I I get so much from that playing a show even when people fucking hate my band I still get something from it I'm doing the thing I'm being physical it's like a it's a fucking workout I'm expelling whatever demons or whatever you call it but then like I also get to like meet people and have people like appreciate what we do and connect with them and like that shit's important you know really really important um Oddly enough, the thing that I miss post tour is <laughs> is the is the time where I'm like in a long drive and I just have nothing to do and I can reflect. A lot of times, that's a lot of work on my brain uh, because it never stops. But um, when I'm at home, I don't get that time to reflect. I don't get like hours to reflect. It's like I have all this stuff I have to do. So yeah, I don't know. I think people. I think people. I think people look at their time. Um, touring and not touring differently than maybe i do um i i i appreciate both of them um and when and it's always like when you don't have the other thing you miss it you know when i'm on tour i'm like fuck i just want to like chill out you know and do nothing or whatever when i'm when i'm at home i'm like i want to be on tour so it's it's just it is what it is um yeah people are people are weird in the way they deal with things and i and i just i don't think we um i don't think we're fully prepared for where we're where we're headed as a as a species it's it's a very arrogant question but do you think something could save humanity from those things because you know that's something i personally experience and i'm i'm just like you i'm asking myself the same questions like where is this you know going i don't know what could save humanity i mean i i feel like At times, I feel like we're regressing, but I think overall, there's shifts. There's these there's these gradual shifts. It's never enough. Um, but I do think that some of us are 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 um, evolving in a, in a in a good way. I just don't know if it's fast enough. You know, I mean, we're there, we're up against so much shit. We're up against the climate change. That's we're fucked. This planet is gonna just shit us out, and which we should be shit out. Um, and that's a huge problem. I don't know. I think that we're learning. I think we're learning to to adjust. We're we're, we're capable of that as as a species to mo to some extent. Where we're adjusting to modern times. I, I just think maybe the modern times have have gone a little bit too far for us to like catch up with it right away. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I wish I had an answer that was like, oh, the end of it's right there. We're gonna we're only gonna make it to that year, <laughs> or or like the end of it is is not anywhere in sight. You know, I I don't know. Well. we'll Let's, you know, we should just do this podcast again in, a, in like five years and be like, hey, we made it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and maybe we'll have a different perception. Uh, I don't know. I mean, do I want humanity to be wiped off the face of the earth? No, absolutely not. Should we be? Probably. I mean, there are a lot of good humans, but there are a lot of fucking players on this planet that are just, they just have no respect 
for anyone or anything, including themselves. And I think that's a, I think that's a big issue. And, but uh, fortunately, I feel like a lot of the stuff that you and I are into, the art that we uh, all are part of and create is a thing that helps everybody. You know, I mean, it's pretty crazy for me to go on tour and almost every night someone will say that like something that I've been part of has saved their life. That is a crazy thing to have someone tell you and it feels so insane in a good way to accomplish that without even trying. I didn't know that my bands uh, would, would save someone's life. Um, the fact that it did uh, makes it all worth it. All of the bullshit, the, <laughs> the hourly wage that I was trying to figure out doesn't matter at that point. I saved someone's life or multiple people's, people's lives. That is really, really important. Um, and I, and I know there's tons of artists that do that. I, and I think that's really great. Um, and that I think makes what we do relevant. And also yeah. you realize at this moment that this reaction, it costs a lot more than any record seats. Yes. A lot. Yes. I mean, you can't even put a price on it. It's a human life, you know? Sure. Um, And I, I mean, I can say that for myself, like fucking punk rock saved my life. All of these bands that I grew up with saved my life. Keith Levine saved my fucking life, you know, <laughs> like uh, without him knowing it, you know. Um, yeah, it's just wild to me. Um, Having that many projects right now, decades after you've started built a label and, you know, basically right now, when people think about Justin Pearson, they have a certain idea, emotional or musical tonality in our heads, you know, I would include myself here. So what, having these many projects, what keeps you focused and does it let them morph into one thing that would get repeated over and over again? Because eventually, you know, somebody might say that, oh, maybe Def Club sounds a bit like Retox, but still like you and me, you understand that these are completely different things. Yeah, um, it's funny because I do hear a lot of uh, Def Club sounds like the Locust and I'm like, I don't really get it. But when I hear people say that, I feel like they're like my mom or my mom thinks it all sounds the same. And and I love my mom and I don't expect her to know the difference between it. But I'm like, oh, yeah, you're like my mom or like a parent or an adult or whatever. It all sounds like garbage. I get it. Uh, where like everyone in Def Club think there's no fucking way this sounds like the Locust, except maybe my vocals as one of the three vocalists of the locust but nothing sounds the same the bass definitely doesn't sound the same i love jason's bass playing in, in def club but he doesn't sound like me in the locust same with all the other stuff i mean you know um the fact that it's got weird sounds maybe that might be it but like weird sounds are <laughs> all over the place so if you if you just have to narrow it down that's that and i guess you know whatever i could be at fault for that um i i, I think yeah i guess that i guess you can look at it i mean these two weird bands to someone that doesn't get it, it might make the same, it might make sense why they would sound the same. But, you know, at the same time, I also am not in a ton of projects at once. There's, um, there's a constant evolution with people that I work with and that uh, tolerate me and whatever. So we create something new, I think, um, each time and differently depending on the players because, because these people in this project can't do what these people do and vice versa. So we, our output is this. And that's how it's going to be. But I, I think like, you know, right now, I, you know, I'm, I'm active mainly in, in Def Club and in Planet B. And I sing in both of those bands. And they're completely different in my mind, 100% different. 
We even share a drummer in, in Planet B and, and Def Club. Di fucking different band, 100%. Um, but to like my mom, you know, she's probably like, this shit all sounds fucked up. The same like weird ass shit, uh, which is fine. Um, but it's just different. So um, I don't know. I mean, I guess things could like, I guess I could accidentally repeat a similar sound uh, or vibe, uh, but that's never the intention. The intention is never to make something old again or new again. It's, a, it's just, here's the new thing. The players are different and this is our output. And whatever that is, is whatever it is. One question I want, I always wanted to ask you is, uh, you know, I couldn't but notice that a lot of your projects started with some simple things like a seven inch or splits. You know, we're talking about like all, all leather retox, dead cross, dead claw, planet B, swing, swing kids, and you know, and so on and so on. Uh, obvious question, which, what do you, why didn't you think? you know, about full-length albums straight away, or it was more <clears throat> creative marketing decision? Huh, that's a good question. It was never a creative marketing decision. <laughs> um, but usually, like, you know, okay, this might be a, a long-winded example, but, like, Retox is a good, a good example to me, where, like, I don't remember how it came about, but Mike Crane and, and Gabe Serbian discussed starting a band, and we wanted it to sound like Headwound City. Like Gabe and I were like, we should have done Headwound City longer. It wasn't a band. We only did an EP at the time, Headwound City. So we're like, let's start a band that's kind of like Headwound City, just like very simple, gnarly thrash band. And we got together as Retox and recorded our first EP before we played a show, but kind of just like to see what would happen, you know? It wasn't like, oh, we're going to be a band for this long and do these albums or whatever. It just was like a project to just see and like, on its own, we we're like, this sounds cool. This stands on its own. Let, let's release it. Um, if, if it was a, a marketing thing, I would, I would say don't ever do a seven inch because you can, there, it's a fucking, that's, that format sucks. It's really hard to, to break even. I guess a good example would be um, Dead Cross just doing LPs that the people that are uh, steering that ship <laughs> know, like, don't fucking put out a seven inch. It's a dumb idea. Um, I like dumb ideas though. Um, and so if we record a project and it's just, it's just worthy of a seven inch, then, then that's that, you know? All of the episodes are available at Beyond Recognition Patreon page in advance. Subscribe at patreon.com slash beyond recognition to get exclusive content, advanced episodes, and different bonuses for our subscribers.